Welcome to the Composting Consciousness Podcast, hosted by Gray Garland and myself, Tango Faye Batelli. Composting Consciousness is an alchemical container of aliveness and alignment. It's aimed at re-enchanting reality, specifically with curiosity and creativity. And the work of composting your consciousness is you doing you with what you have. Deceptively simple, deeply nuanced. In our inaugural episode, we loosely spiral around the topic of composting victimhood. We talk a bit in the beginning about the projects we're working on as we continue to build our business backwards, so to speak. This turns into anecdotes about haircuts, which somehow turns into a brief tangent on the tesseract brain and feeling truth with imagination. As we get into our groove, we get into examples of sovereignty and navigating victim mentality. At one point, I have an aha moment about the possible historical religious meaning behind the clay metaphor, and Gray shares about their experiments with timeline jumping. And of course, we couldn't engage the victimhood topic without discussing the phenomena of emotional addiction and existential kink. So grab your art supplies or craft supplies or maybe your shoes for a walk and settle in for an hour of musing and giggling from your favorite friendly neighborhood existential gardeners. haunted <laughs> I like haunted know. things when I was a kid I was like really obsessed with the idea that I wanted to be haunted I was like really into that like discovery channel show a haunting which is just like bad retellings <laughs> of people's haunting stories and I used to love like it's my favorite thing when I got to stay home sick from school because they would run like a two-hour block or something of that show and I loved watching it so much. And I was like, this is so unfair. Why don't I get to be haunted? <laughs> Did you ever succeed in being haunted? No, I never succeeded in being haunted. <laughs> there was like one time that um, like my parents bought this camper off of my grandparents. It's like super fucking old. I think it's from like the 70s or something. And I decided that I didn't want to be like crammed in a camper with my mom and dad because reasons. And I went home alone. I was like 16 and I was like not really used to being home alone. And I got like so freaked out being in the house by myself and just like making noises and stuff that I like called my parents like panicking. I was like, I don't feel safe. I think like my dad out of pity just came home to make me feel better. I think like part of the reason I got weirded out is because when we first moved into that house like three years before... We kept, like, having weird stuff happen with, like, the lights just going out and stuff and then coming back and we couldn't figure out what it was about. And my sister would be like, oh, it's it's grandma because, like, this that was, like, my dad's parents' house that we moved into after she died mm-hmm. or after he died because my grandfather died after her. 
And I like, I don't remember ever being freaked out by her saying that, but for some reason when I was alone in that house at one time, I was like, <laughs> there could be something here with me. And all of a sudden being haunted is not so fun anymore. Well, I'm glad we're both fed and we're here. I wanted to ask you this. Do you still like the idea of launching a like sewing sovereignty uh, membership? Yeah. Did I ever like flush out what I even meant by that? I don't think so. No. (laughs) You said something about it and I was like, oh, it's a membership now. And you're like, yeah. Um, I think it sounds like a really good idea. Well, so so I wrote the yeah the first volume for Seeds of Sovereignty. Seeds of Sovereignty is base will basically just be like this little free, slow publication of like kernels of our work. Because um, I think stuff like victimhood and scarcity, like these are such general common things everybody's going to like dig up in their garden, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> as you're composting yourself and seeds. Oh, the accountability group where <clears throat> I think they'll just be like a small handful of monthly threads. It'll probably even be the same threads each month of like uh, times I, I saw the hot potato being passed to me and I decided to drop it, you know, <laughs> Or times this month I I totally grabbed and passed on, you know, like I did play or I noticed or of the different like stages, um, like we might even explain like car crash phase of like, where are you in the car crash phase of getting off the triangle? I literally just looked up like in like Carolyn Elliott's influence document what the like stages of alchemy were this morning to kind of see where I felt like I was right now. But yeah, it's like the membership would actually be like the composting work, like the actual work of composting the victimhood. Yeah. It's a place that you could like share your experiences, read other people's examples, both things I feel like are really valuable. And then, um, and then host, I'd, we'd host like one or two zoom calls a month to like have discussions about it for people to share maybe ask questions, whatever kind of thing that we would host. Um, Yeah, I would go there to have that accountability. I feel like some people even more prefer the threads or prefer the Zoom calls and some people will do both, but it's just, I don't know. It's something I would want. I'm like, I'm like, this is one of the coolest things I've thought of because I would join this. (laughs) Um, Me too. So, yeah, so... So we've got this free uh, PDF you can download at compostingconsciousness.podia.com um, called How to Compost Your Victimhood. Uh, what? Uh, I just, I, I briefly went through it again this morning because um, part part of me, the part of me that hates everything I make even just kind of shrugs at it. Um, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of <laughs> proud of this thing I put out because I feel like even though it's so succinct, like each page or paragraph is actually like a whole hour's worth of ranting I could do about it. Like I feel like I did. It's a lovely condensation of the material if you need just like a starting place to like look at the structure <laughs> of like victim mentality. 
think it's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> um, did you did you see victimhood being like a theme in your work, or did at first you were like, I don't know how this connects to what I'm doing? I don't know. I mean, I didn't really. I feel like it's such a fundamental part of like everything that we're doing that I almost didn't think of it as a separate piece. And especially like whenever I renamed flow to temple, cause I kept seeing that like four pillar structure in my head and I did a tarot reading major arcana only just to see like, what is the card that best represents temple? Because I thought since I would like to eventually offer a program that's based in the tarot, it'd be cool to see like where this falls. And I got the emperor and that's when I realized, yes, that's what it, this is like majorly a sovereignty thing, which mm-hmm. is then a composting victimhood thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Because like, sovereignty I mean, artists are, artists and creative people are like the most likely to be victimized by their own power and by their own process. It, like the whole archetype of like the, suffering artist like really plays into the idea that like you're suffering and victimhoods and feeling like you're at the mercy of some power greater than you that you don't control like they're big themes and they're themes that like creative people are romantically attached to and I really liked the idea of this course kind of like flipping that on its head like no this is your temple it's your flow in there this is your wellspring and you're responsible for taking care of it and you like have all the tools to do so. I'm so excited for Temple. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Did we launch our business before we had our courses ready? Yes, we did. And we have no regrets. (laughs) Yeah, it was perfect. I mean, like I literally, I could not have written it or had the idea if we hadn't have started the project first because we, that's like part part of Temple is like creating a (laughs) container and how like it creates it's like intention in like magic. It creates like an organizing field that focuses your attention and brings like the most salient threads to the surface. It really did that for me. Like it was, a, I never really thought that that was super important actually before we started this project. Like the only other time I've had like a container before I had anything to put in it was back in like, Early 2018, I came up with the series Cultivating Creativity, which now I think is so funny because composting and cultivating from both garden <laughs> I did not know that. That is so perfect. Yes, and, like, I, I just, I liked the term when I had started, like, writing articles talking about my creative process. I knew that I really enjoyed talking, like, in meta about the creative process but I started to realize that like I needed more of like an information foundation for me to feel comfortable like really talking about it and temple essentially is that information foundation like the coalescence of all of the things I have learned over the last like six years such excite, such excite, because it, it parallels. It just it really parallels uh, kaleidoscope, the course I'm working on, which is the same thing. It's yeah. this weird coagulation of my own journey over the last yeah, like God, like seven or it's like seven years now. Um, 
how old am I? Uh, (laughs) 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 When did I like make a pact with the moon because we were accidentally sailing in the middle of night and there was nowhere to anchor nearby? And I was like, what kind of person am I that I'm making a pact with the moon? (laughs) 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 And now it seems so quotidian in my life. Like, of course I'm conversing with the moon. (laughs) I love that. But, you know, when you're like, facing your mortality <laughs> uh, do it. you yeah. really I guess I guess I accidentally talked more about kaleidoscope than I even meant because part of that is um um the way I was talking about it a friend of mine the other day actually was like it almost sounds like a snow globe too because I'm trying to like, like shake that. you <laughs> like shake up the stuff that might have like you know, gotten crunchy or just like fallen to the bottom and you don't even know is there. Um, and, and in the beginning I started jokingly describing uh, kaleidoscope this way, but it seems to have actually just been accurate. Uh, probably what you've said before of just like genius speaking through you before you realize it. Um, I've watched that like- a lot through you in the past year. <laughs> of uh I'm like well it's kind of just like a course on like how to be a person (laughs) like reminding people of of what it of yeah what it means to be a human being and once you just see it and are reminded of it you want to dive into it anyways I don't even have to do that part I'm you know you're the horse I'm bringing you to water you will be thrilled to drink when I'm done with you uh which like I guess that's similar to what you're like, if we hadn't launched the, you know, the business name and started the blog and stuff like that, this course would have never come to me. I wasn't going to sit down and be like, I'm going to write a course to teach people how to be people. Like that doesn't make any sense (laughs) from that angle. Um, And it was just really emergent. I think we both started with different, I was writing something called feel And you ended up writing called something called flow or the might have even you had flow and feel came to me second, but like, and then we totally pivoted out of it. And I don't know. I just love how we're like, we're doing the work that as that we're writing that we want to share. It's also just like what we're living because part of that was like, Oh wow, this isn't happening in a linear mode. It kind of looks like, like was that a waste of my time or was it not and then you're like oh I get to choose how I orient to it which is like also part of what I'm teaching people how to choose how to orient to their life (laughs) uh and I don't know sometimes this shit just gets extra meta just like meta 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 (laughs) I keep joking to Cody about like the temple dojo because I have definitely called all of this stuff in Yes, I love and it. And now, like, I just keep thinking about how, like, the stuff that has happened, especially over the last couple months, I never could have actually written this course before having these experiences. That, like, flow came to me last year, and I knew, like, the general, like, shape. I had, like, a skeleton. But, like, Temple is, like, that skeleton with, like, flesh over it and a personality And it's, like, largely come through my own experiences of realizing, like, oh, I still have some very big growing to do as a creative and stuff to work out and, like, things that I had been resisting because there was no reason not to, not to change my patterns. But then, like, saying that I wanted to step into this and I want to, like, 
help guide creatives and and like kind of own my creative authority forced me to then claim my creative authority which meant doing the work and yeah. like no if you if you had told me uh that you were gonna like create a course around a major arcana tarot card like the emperor is the last thing i would have ever thought you would have yes. chosen <laughs> me too <laughs> attraction to that card for a long time but I it's not the one that you typically think of when you think of creativity and I had started like making the notes for creative alchemy for like the tarot based course like actually it came to me like weeks after I I came up with flow it was they both kind of came at once and I was like oh flow slash temple is like the prerequisite and like creative alchemy is really the dojo really like where you bring all these into practice and start looking more at like your long-term cycles and how you're going to engage in like sort of like a creative apprenticeship with yourself and I realized when I was making the notes for the emperor I was like oh this is like a very important card in creativity that creatives don't like we do not like it and I particularly because of like the level of structure and organization Mm. And, and just, like, being willing to be confident and step into your authority. Like, even that piece alone was, like, really hard for me. Oh, yeah, and that's how we got that, here. Like, Victimhood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I realized, like, this is probably the most crucial thing to confront creatives with because probably nobody else is going to do it. Yeah. Well, and if you, connecting back, I'm thinking about the triangle again now. Like, if you're... The thing about being in victim mentality, riding the drama triangle, is there's like never solutions. That's what keeps the triangle going. And so I imagine even like creatives stuck on the triangle are like never fully creating. Yes. Um, So, yeah. So obviously that's a very foundational keystone. And sorry, I'm saying, I'm realizing this as I'm saying it, because this was not obvious to me 20 minutes ago. (laughs) Um, Like, oh, yeah, like it, the the victim thing, I don't know, sometimes even the word victim feels too strong and people are going to miss just like how, I don't know, ubiquitous and common this like way of thinking and orienting to the world is, uh, to the to the point we that we talk a lot about disempowerment. That feels like a safer word, but I, that's really analogous. That's really all it is. It is in a way that's like there are all these little ways where it's culturally re- like we're culturally rewarding the disempowerment. Yes. Which I, yeah, I think if like we saw it labeled that way, we would more quickly see how silly it is. If you could like you know when you give someone like the dye that makes their guts light up under the scans. <laughs> I want to be able to oh, like I'm pour so something on all the victim mentality so uh, we can see it. I don't know why this is coming to me now, but I was just remembering how like Ari had the dream mommy had talked recently about shout out amazing astrologer. <laughs> yeah, right? They were talking about like, if you show up in a really like grasping desperate way, when you, go to like pitch your work basically people are going to show up with their inner children that wants to parent your inner child to give it a different ending because they resonate with that you attract people who resonate with that feeling of like oh nobody should pay me for anything you should buy my work and 
Yeah, it reminds me of how, like... I forgot where I was going to go with that, but that's just what came up. Talking about, like, disempowerment and how common it is. Oh, because we just keep mirroring it? Like... Yeah, yeah, and how yeah. it's rewarded. That's what you said that, oh, like, okay, yeah. tips it off. Is like, people love... And I remember feeling that, like, so clearly. That, like, urge to give somebody's inner child a different ending. Because, to me, it's like giving my inner child a different ending. Mm. And like that is such still a not doing your own work. <laughs> yes, because like you're you're physically dissociated while you're doing that. You're like completely disconnected from reality, both your internal reality and the reality of that person. Because the reality of that person, if, if we're both like standing in our power and our sovereignty, is that like you're not helpless. You you're a powerful, creative person with like tons of creative value, and you don't need me to like reify that for you. Heck yeah. Because <laughs> even just re-talking these concepts with you is always helpful. You always have like a little extra thing I don't know or see or whatever. So whether this just becomes a conversation that benefits me <laughs> or becomes a conversation that benefits a wider audience, either one's a win. In my I'm book. already feeling like the benefits personally. And like that's also like writing about this recently in Temple about like the extended mind and how like talking things out with other people allows you to like kind of transfer that into mm -hmm. their consciousness, lay it out and see pieces that you wouldn't if you were just like thinking it in your head or like writing it out in a journal. And I definitely noticed that like whenever I talk to different people, like their attention reorganizes what I'm going to say. It's like when you're talking to someone who's very like uninterested and you can just feel it, your best content does not come to the surface. You're more likely to feel like a little bit like self-conscious. And I feel like that's always what happens like in our meetings and conversations and stuff. Cause like the fact that we are both like really focused on this frequency, like brings up oh, okay, so many okay. nuggets of gold. I was like, I look disinterested. Is my autism showing? <laughs> <laughs> And then I was like, oh, no, they mean the opposite. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've seen some reels like that recently of like people acting out interactions between neurodivergent people. And even sometimes we can't read each other when we're like more stressed and have a flatter affect. Uh, yeah of of did you happen to see the one with like one the person's like a hairdresser and they think that person hates their haircut and so they're like okay well um okay I'll just take you to pay and then and then you can go or whatever and they're like oh do you take cash tips and like pulls out a hundred dollar bill and they're like oh I thought you hated the haircut they're like no I love it this is the best haircut I've ever gotten <laughs> and I was like I've pretty much kind of done that before actually the lady who your vibe. The <laughs> I have a, I have my side, the side of my head shaved and I extended that to the back of my head once and got like a funky kind of curly shortcut on top. And, um, and the, the salon where I got it done, super overwhelming salon, just like full bright front windows, bright white lights and the whole thing. It's just one kind of long room. So it's kind of echoey and it was busy. Like all five other chairs were full and I probably was kind of quiet and flat affect through it. Um, I remember a kind of fawning kind of conversation. Like the lady has 
toddlers in cloth diapers and I worked at a cloth diaper store. So I just talked with her about that, which I don't actually care about at all. (laughs) And uh, yeah, at the end, I accidentally skipped through the card reader page for a tip. And I was like, oh, we have to cancel it. So I, I forgot to tip to go back. Um, and she was like, oh, oh, okay. Like, I think she just thought I meant to skip it or whatever. Uh, I don't know the whole, like at the end, I think she was surprised. She was like, oh, that was, that's really nice of you. Like, did, is that the right number? I think I added like 40 bucks. Cause like, it was just, it was clean. It was layered. My hair felt amazing. She got like the shape and everything right. I have thick curly hair that a lot of people have just done me wrong. Okay. Like. <laughs> numerous people have straightened like washed dried straightened and then cut my hair um and why (laughs) and I wasn't like old enough or confident enough to like say anything um but so this was an excellent haircut and I had money at the time and I was like you deserve this especially with your toddlers and you buying those expensive diapers and stuff Um, but yeah, I really think because I had been so blah and I'm not like chatty, 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 like all the other girls in the room that she thought I hated it. (laughs) Um, there's my, my side story or whatever. (laughs) I'm like, like forgetting to tip (laughs) whenever the one time that I went to a massage parlor last year, I was like feeling kind of awkward about it and then it went really well and I was getting ready to leave and I'm always like I'm bad with just transitions any kind of transition yeah. so I always try to like speed through them and I was like I almost walked out the door she's like are you gonna tip and I was like oh <laughs> now they think I'm guilt tipping <laughs> now they think I'm guilt tipping but did you did you leave a tip yeah yeah, that was a you, good tip. I didn't leave like a fantastic tip. I was like, I'm poor and this was expensive. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, no, I'm at first I was like, why am I telling this really random story? But I'm like, oh, this this still actually is on topic <laughs> because like those are types of moments you could you could have gotten really pissed, you could have been really embarrassed. That, or you could have been really angry that they made you embarrassed, stormed out of there, complained about it to your friends that, like, this masseuse had the gall to act, like, da-da-da-da-da. You could have, you could have r- ridden the, the triangle, you know, with it and turned it into, like, fun drama brownie points or something. Actually, and... it makes me wonder because the lady who checked me out was not actually my masseuse. But it also could have potentially elicited a victim response from my actual masseuse if she was the one handling, like, the payment. Because she might have thought, like, oh, I guess I did a bad job and now I don't want to ask her to tip, so I'll just say nothing. Oh, yeah. It's like, and I can the- see myself doing that. Yeah. And then the lady at the cashier, like, swoops in as a rescuer and is like, I'm just going to straight up ask ask the customer as she's walking out the door. Because, <laughs> um, like, even for me with the... <clears throat> with the hairdresser, like basically the times, the times before that, I just let myself be the little victim in the chair. Like, oh, I can't speak up or I'll be rude. I either saw myself as the victim or I was like afraid of being seen as the the bitch or the villain in that instance. And I Um, have definitely been the villain in scenarios like that because I, I am not good about like just eating it whenever 
I really want something different. And I remember one time with like a hairstylist that like I just wanted to let my hair dry. And I've been going to this lady for a long time. She's like the cousin of my childhood best friend. I, mm-hmm. I had like a relationship with this lady. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, you have to let me straighten it. I have to see what it looks. And I was like, no, I don't want that. And she was like, but I, come on, I just did this to your hair. Like I have to see, I want to get the full effect. And I finally did just let her, but we went back and forth a little. I was like, it's weird that you feel like you need to see. Well, like, she made it. I don't like that she like made it sound like you owed her or something. I just did this to your hair. You yeah. have to let me do this. Yeah. No, like, I, I get, don't. <laughs> it's like I get as an artist wanting to see like the full effect if you were cutting my hair with the intention that I'm going to be straightening it. Well, but isn't but that like, like a classic? I am the client. I'm saying what I want. And if that's yeah. not what I want, then that's not the full effect you'll be getting. That's You're just going to get to see how you would do it. And then I will go home and do what I'm going to do with it every single day anyway. Yeah, so well and isn't that kind of a rescuer move of like I just did this thing for you let me do this at like very much you you owe me or whatever also what was it just like that time or what was it about I feel like I knew so many women who were like excited to straighten curly hair yeah yeah I don't I don't know because like before then I'm like you look like a little kid excited at like their first science experiment you know like you've just yeah, seen I, like I food coloring drops like go into water <laughs> straight hair and it, it can be fun to like oh I want to see what they look like with straight yeah hair. But it's like after you've seen a couple's curly to straight transformations <laughs> aren't you like good this is your job you do this every <laughs> this is your job <laughs> yeah well and it's after stuff like that that yeah I specifically looked for people who put like curly specialist or something like in their bio, which I didn't realize. I was like, I didn't think my hair was that unusual. (laughs) Um, Anyway. Now my brain just seems to be like, how many hairs do you have? I'm so excited about your hairs. (laughs) Like whenever I first started like wanting to wear my hair like wavy, because I don't, that my hair like technically qualifies as curly it's a pretty like loose curl it looked like but, white um, girl curly to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> like I read about that that like ideally you should get someone to cut it when it's dry and in its like coiled up form so the haircut will look better so I finally did like go to a lady and get her to do that and I specifically like said that I wanted her to do that but I just I was too lazy to find someone and like make an appointment. I was like, no, I'm my haircut today. And <laughs> I don't know if that lady had any experience cutting curly hair or not, but she did all right. <laughs> I just remembered my worst haircut. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> you said like, did it make an appointment? I want it cut today. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> when when I was a kid and even as a teenager, because I think. I want to say I was like 13, 13, 14. Um, And some in the summers I would spend between like two and five weeks with my grandmother in Ohio. And I never got a haircut with what, when I was with her. So I don't know why this summer was different. Um, Maybe she was already going. And so I just went with her or something, but it was great clips. She went to a great clips. (laughs) Which, if you know what that is, you're already cringing. (laughs) And this, I think there's definitely a little bit of, like, autism in this story. (laughs) 
because so I I don't have like coily hair, but I definitely if you just let it air dry, I have unmistakably curly hair. Um and I don't know the like letter number system, but like that's how I explain my texture and it's thick. And so I had actually cut the back half like behind the headband part of my head fairly short so that it would curl enough to like I kind of I called it my curl afro. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. cultural appropriation of words, but that's what I called it because it was like just long and it was the hair was just long enough to curl and kind of stand up like it wasn't too long that it went flat in the back. Um, and then I would just straighten my bangs. I had bleach blonde bangs in the front that I straightened <laughs> and my dark brown curls in the back. And I guess it was the middle of, I guess my grandmother was going to get her hair cut and my hair was like long enough that it was starting to fall flat at the crown and it just looks silly. Um, someone in my modeling class said it looked like a duck ass. <laughs> Like, you have a duck ass haircut, which I thought was funny. That actually didn't even make me want to cut it so much as when I saw it, I didn't like it. That everyone referred to as the duck butt haircut for a while. Yeah. And that was not even, that's, you have to do that with shorter straight hair. But anyways, the fact that this girl said it to me was just weird and an unimportant part of the story. (laughs) 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 But so I, but so it's an unusual haircut. But I don't really, that I have, but I don't, I'm too young for that to really click that it's unusual and I don't have a photo reference and it doesn't really click to me that the people working at Great Clips are probably not the most certified, most trained people because usually when you have, yes, anyways, um, I won't talk about how the whole industry works. (laughs) And so I was like, I just need this. My bangs are fine, but I need the back half trimmed because it's falling. And she was like, well, how long is it usually? And I, I'm, I just, I'm forgetting the physics of how things work. And I just think, well, it stands up about an inch, an inch and a half off my head or a couple inches off my head. So I meant like when it's curled and curly, but so apparently she just measured from my scalp about an inch, inch and a half the whole backside of my head, it didn't even curl. Like it was so short. There wasn't enough, there wasn't enough hair to curl. (sighs) You look like Helena Bonham Carter in Fight Club. (laughs) Like, like. Not a bad look, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Like a, an older or different versions of me, like, like would have totally rocked that haircut, would have loved that haircut. But this younger version of me and, who just like and like when you're not expecting it when you're not expecting it at all it's a shock that's not what you want and i stayed at my grandmother's for three extra weeks because i didn't want to go home until my hair grew out (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) every time i would like want to cut my hair short like my sister would warn me about hair shock and I would be like, well, how am I going to be shocked by it if I chose it? And she'd be like, no, th- it happens all the time. Like, you think you want it short, and then you get it short, and you see it, and you're, like, you're shocked, and you panic. And I was like, why would I <laughs> panic? <laughs> I, like, whenever I wanted to get a pixie cut when I was, like, 16, because I had just seen the girl with the dragon tattoo, I think, and I was, mm. like, trying to channel 
the Salander vibes. Uh, I like got so much pushback from my mom and sister and they gave me like so many like you want to talk victimhood they gave me so many reasons why like well that only works on girls who were like stick thin and like it only works on girls with a certain face shape and it only you were works really thin feminine what it, and I, was, I like, mean I mean that's that doesn't even matter but I'm just like what <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it was like well what if I want to be a butch queen like <laughs> <laughs> That reminds me of when I first got the side the side of my head shaved. It was even only half the size as it is now because it just went from my ear forwards. Um, and so it was like just this little chunk, like maybe six square <laughs> inches or something. And uh, my hair was cut in such a way as I could totally cover it, hide it, whatever. I got it done my freshman year of college. And when I went home to visit my parents... Like, I knew my dad would, like, find it, you know, just, like, too punk or, like, not feminine enough or whatever. So I was like, I'm not even going to tell him. But sometimes I can, like, tell my mom things and then we we might bond over it. And I would think I was hoping for that, which is not at all what happened. I showed it to her. Because, um, like, when I did the thing in high school where I had bleach blonde bangs and dark brown in the back, my mom was like, you're so cool. Like, I wouldn't have been brave enough to do that. Like, that kind of, she's mentioned a oh, few things great. I've done have kind of, like, inspired her um, to, like, dress more boldly and, or a little more funky or whatever. Uh, and that was cool. So that's what I thought was going to happen, is that this was going to be one of those moments. And instead, she's like, oh, no, how does it go? She said something like, I've already come to terms with the fact that you're you're gay like you don't have to go and look gay too (laughs) like she thought I was like trying to like purposely queer code myself or something or I was like I'm just having fun I just like wanted you know all the other things I do and how I tell you I did them for fun this is that like how is this any different from me like painting all my fingernails a different color and putting different like mismatching earrings in my ears and stuff. That's a really like, interesting reaction. It was the weirdest. Like I was not prepared for that statement at all. She's like, I've already come to terms with you being gay. Um, or I think she said a lesbian, which for anyone listening, I'm bi, but whatever. And <laughs> you don't have to go and look gay too. Well, this is the same woman who came home from work at Lowe's one day and was like, I think I figured out, why lesbians become lesbians and she works at Lowe's. So she's just seeing like a bunch of lesbians at Lowe's and she's like, Oh, it's just where the ugly women who can't find men go. I'm like, ah, my mom had a similar take in that she thought it was because men hurt them. Right. It's, I mean, this, this goes to something I like to teach in some of my coaching calls of like the, the brain abhors a vacuum like the way nature hates a vacuum the brain hates a reasoning vacuum so you will confabulate you will just make up the easiest or quickest or whatever is logical to you you will make it make sense and as long as you can keep in mind that you're doing that you can actually go back to like your own directory of like what is my underlying beliefs that led me to make this false you know, logical leap. I'm not doing a good job explaining this, but <laughs> I was like just writing about this like same thing in the parts work section of Temple yesterday and about how a lot of times like 
you know, these underlying like resistances, blocks, feelings never reach a level of consciousness where we actually can attend to them. And instead, like our analytic brain just like creates rationalizations that like, oh, well, I don't have enough time to work on the thing today. Or like, well, I just don't really feel like exactly fill in the blanks. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you're like, but that's true. Right. Or like, that's, but that's like a thought that went through my head. And I, yeah, I love that you say it's in the parts work section. Cause that's, that's, uh, I don't even think this is quite in kaleidoscope. It might be more in epicentered, which is the course that comes after kaleidoscope that no one but us knows about, um, <laughs> of you start working with your, your parts and your layers. I cord, I sort of separate a person almost into like rows and columns of like, uh, a Rubik's cube like, that like you start to put cube. together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, that's what I really liked about how like Eric Wargo calls it the Tesseract mind in his, uh, in his book, Precognitive Dreaming. I never got around to Googling. I still don't actually know what a Tesseract is. I only heard it from the superhero movies. And so my brain was like, I don't care what that is. But then I realized they might have actually have used like a real term from physics. I'll Google it now. Yeah, I'm like literally. Oh, yeah, because I just Googled this the other day. It's like it's a four dimensional analog of the cube. Oh, it's just it's a four dimensional cube. Is it? Oh, the Tesseract brain. I I love how I'm only now putting this all together. Before I read that book, I kept like getting these hits about like the prism of self and like Tesseract and a prism about that. that dissimilar. Yeah. And because you kept saying prism, something I'd read. Well, you kept saying prism, and I was like, this just reminds me of kaleidoscope, kaleidoscope. But then, yeah, anyway. (laughs) I love how it all goes together. (laughs) All of our little pieces. Fit together the most perfect little puzzle. <laughs> well, and what's funny, I came across the concept, like this is probably pseudo physics or whatever, but I still like, I like learning the, the wild ideas of how physics could work, even just to stretch my imagination and play. Because even the story we're currently we believe about part like I've never seen a particle have you seen a particle like (laughs) it is in a way I'm not denying that particles exist but it is important to remember that most of us haven't seen them and so we were believing the cultural story about them and so I like to hear other stories just to like stretch that part of myself and play with it and and feel out what I what does it feel like if something feels true or bullshit to me? I especially love playing with that I one. Ever watch the episode of It's Always Sunny where they're like they do like a fake court case to decide whether like Frank is at fault for bumping into Dennis's car and making him spill his cereal? Yes. <laughs> and like Mac somehow convinces everyone that evolution isn't real because he's like, oh, so some science yes, bitch told yes. you about it and you believe. <laughs> I think about that all the time now. Because I feel like I am becoming a Mac in the worst way. <laughs> well, with all with the with the AI technology innovations, like we we are like I think more than ever we do need to be reminded of our inner like truth compass. Like we 
we do have a, have more of a sense of that than I think most people realize. And uh, we're going to need to tap into that shit real soon because the external versions that we've been, oh, the external will tell me if it's true or not. I don't need to know. Okay, well, you need to know <laughs> here coming soon because the external is about to get crazy. Um, <laughs> like uh, Web 3.0 is coming, but it's not the 3.0 you thought it was. <laughs> You know what I mean? Or I don't I don't know how much tech news you follow. Somehow living in Berkeley, I randomly follow more tech news, even though it's not like it's more in my life. So I don't know why. <laughs> why? I'm like, is it just in the field here making me want to follow tech news? <laughs> I don't know. Tech's kind of techie. You know, that's his like area of expertise. That is true. That is true. I think, yeah, part of it stems from having things in common to talk about with my partner. (laughs) Originally, like when me and Cody met, that was like a big, (laughs) it's really funny because whenever we were like both working at Best Buy, he like just came up to me all awkward one day and was like, you study programming, right? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And he's like, that's cool. Guys, I took a programming (laughs) class once. And I was just like, cool. And that was it. That was, and then not long after he started messaging me and, and we went on a date and stuff. I love this so story like, so much. Up. Yes. <laughs> okay, so it's obvious to me now in my early 30s that that was someone trying to like flirt with or talk to someone. Was it obvious to you then? I, I knew. I knew. Yeah, also, okay. because, like, the minute I saw him, the minute that we were in a room together, I, like, zeroed in on him. Energetically, mm-hmm. visually, I was like, that man, I'm putting out the vibes, he's gonna come down. <laughs> back then, I did not, I did not really do the picking up, I just stare at somebody. It's like, oh. Manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I scrolled way back on his Instagram, I, I see it. And I, I, not that he looks different now. There's just not as many pictures of him fr- from recently. Yeah. But if you scroll way back, there's like pictures of him. He doesn't <laughs> like to be reminded that he exists in three-dimensional reality. Oh, so Aquarian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the reason that's like, that's the, uh, why can't I think of the word? Is that the fall of the sun or... It's just not, it's not, so, the, yeah. it's not the preferred sign of the sun. It's the least preferred yeah. sign of the sun. Yeah. The sun is like, I am a self. And Aquarius is like, yeah, but what is a self? I think, that's like, I think that's why Aquariuses are like cracked to me. I just found out that somebody that I recently found on Instagram that I really love is an Aquarius. It's because like, I love that contradiction. Yeah. I think it's probably a Gemini moon thing. I like things that don't really make sense. <laughs> kind of an inherent friction (laughs) uh that is what i love about the gemini moon people in my life who i've realized i've collected quite a number of and it's (laughs) it's just that y'all can only handle normal for so long anyways (laughs) yeah for sure like i remember my mom always like expressing frustration with like the weirdness of the things I like and the people I like. And always I'm like, you're describing what I like about it. (laughs) 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 Weird, awkward, not rightness that you're describing is what pleases me. 
like she used yeah. to do the same thing she looked at my art too she'd be like i like it i just don't like all the weird things that's how she would put it i'd be like yeah the weird things are the point the weird <laughs> things are the whole idea <laughs> comforting the disturbed and disturbing the comfort comfortable Oh, I mean, I've yeah, I've been in love with that phrase since I heard it, which I was like eight. <laughs> um, yeah, stuff and things. I like had this weird moment last night where like I was looking at Ari again. Stan Ari, you have no choice. We love Ari. And they, like, reposted a post that they posted on, like, February 28th talking about how, like, the plates of reality are shifting and the world builders of tomorrow will have, like, world building leaders of tomorrow will have these traits. And I realized, like, oh, shit. C4 has to be successful because by the law of time loops, there's a future (laughs) where this information is diffuse. And we literally wouldn't be here right now writing this stuff if we weren't going to be part of making it happen. We would still be like, you know, you would be a school shooter. I would be dead. (laughs) 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 That's where the odds were going. (laughs) (laughs) Inside jokes, people. Uh, (laughs) That was good. (laughs) You never know what's actually going to go in the podcast. So I'm just like freewheeling. No, I love it. Or, you know, you'd be a school shooter and I'd be dead. I really did, like, have a moment where I was, like... Because, like, last year, I kept finding it really hard to say to Cody when C4 takes off, when I start taking regular coaching classes and all this stuff, because I felt like he has no reason to believe that this is going to be real, and do I even really know it's going to be real? But, like, I kept reading that stupid precognitive dream workbook talking about how, like, Time loathes a paradox and will nudge you in the direction of your future self that already exists in the fourth dimension of time. And I was like, oh, yeah, like we literally wouldn't be reading and writing and doing all this stuff if we weren't part of that evolution of consciousness. So it's just going to (laughs) happen. Felt insane. (laughs) Yeah. No, free it's also like well. speaking of just short form content. I was like, I went on this like rant last night before bed, or like maybe the night before last or something to Cody about how like corporatist capitalism wants us to believe that like the power to transform and to heal yourself hinges on like therapists or finding like the right self-help resource or like something else outside you unlocking it. And it totally misses the point that like the power of like your presence and your own attention is actually the transforming agent it is yes. actually like the thing it is like the like yes. the key that unlocks your and yes your like, attention is one of your greatest powers yes and like that's how that's one way that i kept myself in my victim spirals for so many years is by like devaluing my own presence and saying like no what's actually going to be the most transformative has to come from outside me and I have to find it. And like, and it gave me all these wonderful excuses. Like, well, I can't actually do any meaningful healing work. I haven't been to therapy yet. Like Mm -hmm. I can't actually do any meaningful, like spiritual transformation work. I've never worked with a teacher. I've never like done any, you know, I haven't gotten like certified in an ashram. Yeah, exactly. Like, (laughs) 
there's so many and and like since i have been just focusing on like the just rooting as deeply as i can into the present and what i can see now and what i can feel now like oh my god shit has just like been moving so much more quickly than i ever imagined just from that and it's really made me realize that like yeah because i have a friend right now that's like trying to get into therapy she lives in the uk so it's like she can't just go to a therapist and I was kind of trying to tell her this, that like, I'm not saying don't go to therapy. I'm not saying therapists and coaches and self-help resources and information and all that stuff. Yes, it can be very helpful and it can definitely be a catalyst. But the catalyst, the biggest like enzyme in your arsenal is your presence and like what is happening now and what you have the ability to see and feel directly. Yeah, I think it's the like immense simplicity of it that is what confuses a lot of people like i'll write i'm gonna i'll write everywhere over and over again that composting consciousness is you doing you with what you have which just sounds so deceptively simple but it is just what you explained you know of that of the present of your presence and in the present moment and what's going on is technically all you need and everything else is like bonus (laughs) oh good shit because like that is what has been like really crazy to me is like therapy definitely was important i needed a witness really bad especially i feel like the more disconnected and dissociated you are sometimes the more you need a witness i feel like it gave you a huge confidence boost like you were i mean you were already doing a lot of that for yourself and then it like exponentially seemed to boost that for you I still felt like I can't fully trust this until like some outside authority tells me like, yes, you're not delusional. And that's essentially what happened. And then I felt good about it. But then after I left, I realized, oh, 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 shit. I could have just verified that for myself the whole time because I knew that I felt like I was doing good. But I wasn't willing to trust it. And it's just a willingness to trust that. So like most of my transformation and healing actually happened after I left therapy because it forced me to actually value my own intuition and my own inner witness, my own well, like perspective on life. And I think when you're, you'll probably agree when you're really, when your nervous system is really dysregulated, co-regulation can help you get back to, you know, personal regulation. Um, which is not to say you can't do that on your own, but my God, we are like social creatures and co-regulation with another nervous system really does fucking help. Uh, whether it's just like a lover <laughs> or a certified therapist, like <laughs> um, that co-regulation can really um, get you un- unstuck in ways that don't quite make sense to your mind or your mind's like, that doesn't make sense. Or that was too easy. Or how could that possibly be the thing that helped? Like your, your brain doesn't really get it. Uh, but our bodies do, and they're way smarter than our brains, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, like I, I don't, somebody was like quoting somebody else and I don't remember any of the somebody's, but somebody <laughs> was like talking about how like your body cannot lie to you, but your brain can. So yes. always like, Trust your body first. Exactly. Exactly. Because like the brain, lying comes from the brain. <laughs> um, the, it's, a, it's a protection mechanism that the thoughts about. part. Yeah. Confabulation. That's also a lot. That makes sense. Um, 
what was I saying though? You just clicked a new thing for him. That was like a new thing for me. (laughs) But I was trying to say, oh, like the brain, we've taught our brains like good and bad, truth and lies, things like that. But the body just knows like familiar and unfamiliar. What is, what is true or is, is not like there is no good or bad or like the body doesn't have preferences or judgments about what's going on. It just fucking knows what's going on. Whereas your brain can build up all kinds of gunk to get between you and what's just going on. Um, And that's a lot of that's what we want to like kind of chip away and throw in the compost pile to turn into something else. I hate how much I I love how much I'm referencing Ari. Um, I feel like I can pay her though. I pay them though. My bad. I like. I did. I have I have a call with them tomorrow. I'm so excited. You're gonna read my chart. I love that Ari defines reality as the primacy of direct Experience. experience. Yes. Because like I have been very and you know anybody who has like OCD perfectionist tendencies or just like heavy amounts of dissociation could probably relate but I've been obsessed for a long time about like how do I know if I'm being delusional though I need to know if I'm being delusional but like really everything is an illusion and if you want to talk about direct experience that's what's happening in the body it's like the the mind is not plugged into direct experience it's like interpreting direct experience yes yeah you I love this (laughs) uh because I'm also, I'm just reflecting of like, it It definitely was just like seven or a little less years ago that this stuff was not common sense to me. Um, it might've even been like a stretch for me to hear what we're talking about now. And I mean, hear in like a poetic way of like fully understanding, receiving. Um, and it's just wild, like how much change and I've, I and any human I think is capable of. We're just like far more malleable than, I don't know, I was led to believe growing up. And this is like the coolest part of being alive to me right now that I just want to like spread the message of like, you're actually like flubber or silly putty or like, like you are clay and you can totally, oh my God. I don't, I don't know if this will go in. I'm, I just had a associative click where I was remembering that like the early Abrahamic monotheistic religions, like one of their main metaphors was often about clay and how God has molded you from clay. And I think there's lots of ways we've misinterpreted that, or there's just lots of interpretations of God as creator and you as creation and there being like that separation there is what some people take those myths to mean. But also one thing I, I learned from my special interest of ancient history uh, and especially religious uh, ancient history is what was so unique about those religions is all the other kind of religions and spiritual practices at the time are like, everything is faded We follow the seasonal wheel of the year. There is this and this comes next and this comes next. And we just keep following this cyclical order. And these uh, monotheistic people were like, we can create our destiny. We have free will. We can choose a different way of being. Like that was was, uh, 
early on what it was about and why they pissed off the other peoples because they're like you're throwing off our cycles and traditions and stuff but I'm like what if that's what the clay metaphor was about was like you aren't just the the shape you grew into but you actually can keep changing yourself and morphing yourself through your whole life I just I don't know I I love this I I have tingles like in my face this feels so cool to think about (laughs) I'm like fuck calling it kaleidoscope now it's called clay no (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it gives me i feel like timeline jumping has really like made this real to me shout out p the fairy uh yeah love them too them yeah yeah like say more about timeline jumping i did like that timeline jump like i think nine days ago now you gotta look at the microphone (laughs) <laughs> I, I heard i, I like think i heard like, nine days ago like off in the distance <laughs> it was a cool effect yeah i just like that timeline jump i think it was like nine days ago now about like wanting to feel playful and enjoy writing my course and doing work and mm. i like had this like series it felt like every other day i had a, like a contraction and then the next day i kind of like spanned outward a little bit and it was like a heartbeat i mean like actual birthing yeah that's how that's how i mean that's how a birth is supposed to go uh even though doctors just like it to be out 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 yeah i've just been like so amazed by how like effective it was because when i I mean i didn't i didn't even know that was the theme and once you've said that i'm like wow that's exactly what's i mean that's what you've been reporting to me that's exactly what's happened yes like I was still, because the first timeline jump I did, I didn't have an intention. I was just, like, trying it out. I was like, I don't know, jump somewhere, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I definitely did experience expansion from that, but doing it with, like, a defined intention was, like, so much more powerful. And it, like, shocked me to realize that, like, just in a week, I, it's actually less than a week, because by, like, the next Friday. I think I did that on like a Wednesday and by the next Friday no, that one that number's going out I don't know but it, it works really really fast and I have like become a big believer and I'm like yes anytime that you're feeling a contraction you know as long as P talks a lot about like if you are feeling like a strong urge to get away from your reality that is not a good time to do a timeline job because you have Ooh. to have like acceptance for your current reality you have that to be in a place of neutrality about it. Yeah. And, but it's like definitely made me be like, anytime I have some resistance, just do that because it immediately like dials up the contrast. It's like if there's a pattern I've been running from and been like, you know, avoiding actually taking action to change, it forces you. It's like a collision. You, you come straight into contact with it and you have no choice but to actually do something about it. Cause like that one was a big one for me like wanting to feel playful in my work so much so that like the day before I had my first big breakthrough I was like almost in like a depressive low I felt like really really bad and just like almost hopeless and I had this moment in the bathtub where I was like I can choose to have fun I can just choose that this is all happening in my head right now I am making up this drama I could just choose to do something different and as soon as like I woke up the next day, I just felt totally different. And I had not, I haven't had any more of those like contractions around it. Whoa. It's like really powerful. I love it. I love it. 
also we were just saying that like attention is one of your greatest powers and you were like i did a vague timeline jump and then i did one with intention <laughs> and yeah it's like that focusing is just like you know burning ants with your not microscope what's, yeah cuz like i notice a lot where like it called? i magnifying will glass. be lamenting something that's happening because of the pattern but still not ready to let go of the pattern it's like I think I'm ready to let go of it but I haven't really committed to it and doing the timeline jump is like you are making a commitment you are like taking yourself through these steps of embodying that new energy and you're like saying okay we're gonna do this thing now which means that when you wake up the next day and you want to do the old thing you are like immediately confronted with like but you just went through all of this shit to do something different you just did all of this like ritualist, all these ritualistic steps to like make something new happen. So yeah, it forces you to really realize where you're holding on rather like I was, I was like using this metaphor earlier with Cody about like, whenever you keep avoid some avoiding something, you keep like suppressing it as if you're putting it in a drawer. That's you literally holding onto it. You are literally stashing it away mm-hmm. in your drawer. Like this is going to stay with me. Instead of, like, just sitting with it as long as you need to sit with it until it eventually, like, dissipates. Yes. This reminds me of um, Carla McLaren in uh, Language of Emotions, where she kind of designates the, there's, like, three channels or three things you can do with your emotions. You can, like, repress them, which is, like, not express them at all, shove it in a drawer like you're talking about. It also is like a holding on, but still not being with. It's like shoving it in your pocket uh, kind of thing. You can express just like overly, <clears throat> you know, when you're angry and you just start screaming at someone um, or just uh, you can even do it with your sadness where you just start like performing into your sadness and you keep feeding your own sadness to keep being sadder. But again, you're still not fully being with what it is. You're like in the draw you're like in the meta layer of it or something overly expressed and then she's like or there's like the goldilocks in the middle where you channel it and that is you just openly be with it as it is that's what i when i i always say feel your feelings um which again is like more simple than or harder than it sounds or something but i recently started picturing i mean it was a while ago that i saw this reel but it only like clicked together for me here when it comes to like feel your feelings. There was a reel that was just like an adult. I assume the dad just sitting on the floor in the hallway and there's a toddler in front of him and the toddler's kind of screaming and occasionally pounding his feet. And he's then, then he's flopping to the floor and he's half crying and he's half screaming and like dad's not stopping him or doing anything. Just like if he goes to bang his head into the wall, dad kind of puts his hand there so he doesn't hurt himself. And like when the kid kind of switches more from screaming to crying, dad just kind of opens his arms like, hey, do you want a hug? And the kid is still like, nah, like angry, but just kind of like falls into Mm -hmm. dad's arms. Like that's feeling my feelings. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm there to like hold and respect the little, not to like call each feeling a tantrum, but like to just respect each emotion, like as it flows through, like, like, what do you need in this moment? That's not going to like, no, we're not going to go throw things at the person. Uh, do you want me to go hit a pillow? Like, is that a good, you know, like, have I, have I painted the picture <laughs> of what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's kind of, I go to that sort of imagery when I think about feeling my feelings now. 
because you're not repressing it. You're not telling the kid to like shut up and you're not punishing him for, for, for having the feeling. You're just like providing the open container and letting it happen. And, and I agree, like once I let those things happen, whether it's like a wave of anger or a wave of grief or something, once I give it that just like container to be what it needs to be, um, the whole issue shifts my whole instead of having to like think really hard and crank down on my beliefs or my philosophy or do lots of journaling and what do, why is this happening da, 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 instead of like using all of my critical thinking brain power literally just feeling my feelings for like 10 minutes five minutes two minutes even will make these huge changes in like how I think about or feel about my experiences or problems or whatever in ways that I'll be like, why did that work? That shouldn't have, what, what I did, what is happening? Because <laughs> like what you were talking about earlier about like kind of performing into your sadness and keeping it going. Like there is a way that, that for a long time, I just addictively kept those emotions going. That's the perfect I word. I was not able to distinguish it from like emotional channeling. Yeah. Actually just feeling the feelings. Well, I wish I had realized, I wish I had learned earlier that you can be addicted to anything, you know, because we talk about these external addictive substances. Um, and then I think that changes what people think addiction is or whatever. Um, so you, you like hit the perfect word. You like had an addictive relationship with your sadness um, where you were actually using it to like fill the void and and avoid the problem rather than you're like but I'm feeling the problem I'm like no because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm, I'm semi-familiar with that one too uh so it's oh like you know if homeostasis is just us trying to return to the state where we're comfortable like addicts are taking the drugs to return to the state where they're comfortable yeah like anger addicts are returning to the anger to stick with the state that's comfortable and, like, I felt a lot more comfortable in my negative emotions. And it was definitely, like, a more mental feeling. Like, it's just a completely feeling. different feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Because mine, I will, uh, when I was learning about being addicted to emotions and, and navigating that or whatever, I realized I, my familiarity, my comfort zone was being frustrated I needed to be frustrated at someone or something or like ticked off or pissed off or just like aggravated. There had to be a yes. little like friction somewhere. I love to complain. Yes. I, and I would notice myself around somebody who was, you know, healthy, who preferred like <laughs> any state. And I'd be like, whoa, why am I complaining so much? And then I realized, oh, wait, I always do. That's not good. I mean, it's like, that sounds like, uh, it took more for me to realize mine than that. <laughs> It was, uh, I mean, what really woke me up to this concept is the Handbook to Higher Consciousness by Ken Keyes Jr., which you can find the PDF for free online. Um, and uh, so anyone can read that. And he kind of talks about you as a biocomputer because it's written in the 70s when like computing was coming up. Um, but he's like, yeah, you can be addicted to any of your emotional states. And so even if an obvious, you know, source for it isn't available, you will create it. And I'm like, what? No, things are just frustrating. Yeah, that I, concept. What do you mean? I'm creating it <laughs> because, like, I and I just I notice this. Like, it 
it had become clear before around other people in like small time frames because I I would never want to spend a lot of time around someone who doesn't want to complain. I love complaining. <laughs> I need someone to bounce it back with me. Yeah. But whenever me and Cody started dating, he was just so calm, free of anger, didn't complain much at all, almost never. And I so I was just constantly noticing, oh, I am the one bringing it back to complaining. I am the one always complaining. And it just I like didn't really know what to make of it for a long time other than I was like, well, I don't it doesn't feel good to be the only one complaining and I don't want to not be around Cody. So that means that I have to do something different. But for a long time, it was just, you know, continuing the pattern. Like for a long time, it was just continuing to like bring myself back there at all costs. And he was always like so patient, never seemed, never like stigmatized me for it or made me feel weird for it. He just accepted it, which is very helpful because like you can't really change those patterns when you have someone who's like visibly uncomfortable and disapproving of the patterns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, rejecting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for for me, I think I was also learning about, I mean, the reason I read that book is because it was sent bef- the week before the first lesson for influence for Carolyn Elliott. Um, I think it was when I signed up for the course, she was like, here's a free bonus, which is literally free for anyone um, of, of read this cool book. Um, and then in influence is where the course where Carolyn Elliott taught existential kink, which is now a book that you can buy to learn about it. Um, and existential kink is to be overly concise is sort of like, what if the unconscious part of you is in bliss and loving every aspect of your life and the unconscious, the conscious part of you is just out of alignment. So you don't like certain things and what if you got playful and tried to find pleasure in the things you mentally dislike? And so that's how I started playing with it. Um, the best example is at the time I was listening to a lot of audiobooks and I was like washing dishes uh, and the audiobook player on my laptop just kept crashing. And it's very easy to get frustrated and pissed off that your hands are wet and soapy And now the thing you were listening to just stopped playing and you have to like dry your hands off and restart the app. And then it lost where you were in the book. So now you've got to scroll through and find, I mean, like this, this is heroin for a frustration addict, right? And (laughs) And I don't remember every little stage. I think I did journal about it and I recently mailed my journals home. So I'll have them soon again. Um, But I, what amazed me was at one point the the program crashed and I laughed. Like, like no thought, just automatic. I giggled. I just like complete, I just like chuckled over the dishes and I was like, whoa, because it wasn't fake. It wasn't like, oh, I could enjoy this or what if I choose, like I had done that a couple times. I had started the decondition, but this was only like the second day of me playing around with this and I had just uh, unprompted, just automatically laughed. My whole body felt good. I'm like, I legitimately feel joy and physical pleasure that my audiobook just crashed. What is happening? Like, you know, this is where my whole sense of reality is starting to shift. Uh, and it, it's really just so cool. Fast change. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I mean, I didn't start laughing at everything immediately, but just like knowing that that was possible and having that one experience helped me start to play the, the what if game with everything else. Um, Cause I really thought that the, the source of frustration was external to me. And I'm like, no, the, the it's actually in me and it's a dial I can turn. What? <laughs> Back to victimhood. Like, yeah, the suggestion that I could be anything other than annoyed. Like, but it's not me. It's <laughs> events conspiring to make me feel this way. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you tell yourself that, like, you know, I'm angry because my partner's being a dick. That's why it's <laughs> But is that true? It might be. But is it? Have you asked yourself? Have you explored other options? Because I was not exploring other options for <laughs> many years when I was in this pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Composting Consciousness Podcast with Gray Garland and Tango Faye Batelli. Follow us on Instagram at composting underscore consciousness or on Twitter at compost underscore thyself. Read our blog, schedule a coaching call with one of us, and sign up to receive updates about our other offerings and upcoming courses at compostingconsciousness.podia.com. That's compostingconsciousness.podia.com. You'll find the link to our free PDF on how to compost your victimhood in the show notes, along with other links to other creators and creations that were mentioned in our spiraling chat today. Okay, I think that's it. Bye! <laughs>